And I started to think of my body differently. Up until then, I'd been mad at it. I'd been, I didn't, you know, I had anger at my body for failing me. And I started to realize that that wasn't true, that the enemy is the RA. You know, that's the bad guy. My body and I need to work together to defeat this beast. And, you know, my body is a good thing. And and it, I've completely, this sounds so corny, but I've changed my relationship with my body. This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast. And today we have another guest who's going to share her journey and talk about how she was able to no longer require a set of different medications that she has been on for multiple years. We're going to talk about all these different medications and their effects and positive effects and negative effects on her, how she was able to de-escalate those successfully with her rheumatologist and how the changes that she made through her lifestyle with the Patterson program and her a uh, complete approach to wellness has enabled her to get to this situation. Her name is Barb, and she is in Michigan. And I'd like to welcome you, Barb. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Clint. I am really excited to be here. Yes, and we connected on email, didn't we? I sure shared a story just like the one that we're about to talk to, about today, which is your journey, a positive journey. And you responded and said, "Hey." Uh, you know, I've got a great story as well, and I invited you to come on and, and share. So thank you for accepting that invitation. And before we go any further, let's do the, you know, before and after um, situation that you're in so that we can set the scene for the rest of the episode. Okay. Well, um, my journey started in 2013 when I was about 51 years old at that time. So eight years ago. And I started getting inflammation in my feet. I mean, very typical story. It started in my feet. My feet felt like rocks. I felt like I was walking on rocks. And I had shifted careers just before that time. I had been in business. I retired from business, wanted something completely different. And I took a merchandising job at Macy's, which turned out to be quite physical. I was out on the floor, you know, working with mannequins and clothes and carrying things. And so, of course, I'm, I immediately think that this feet problem has to yeah. do with being on my feet all the time. So I got different shoes, you know, didn't help. This was the summer of 13. And over the next few months, not only did that get worse, but I started having random pains at night. One night, one wrist would, would hurt. And the next night, it would be an ankle. And then a few nights later, it would be a knee. And I would think, oh, I slept on my knee wrong, or I slept on my ankle wrong. Or, but it was bouncing all over the place. 
And I pretty soon I had a drawer full of these braces, you know, different, you know, a brace for my right hand and a brace for my left hand and a sling from my shoulder, an ankle brace. I mean, I had everything, but it was this moving target. It, it was always at night. I would wake up the next morning thinking, well, I did something or I'm getting carpal tunnel or who knows what, but you know, over the course of the winter, it, it, all of this became pretty bad. And I finally went to see a podiatrist for my feet. And I mentioned the other joint problems. I said, could it be related? And he said, probably is. He did a, a test, a blood test, but the rheumatoid factor came back negative. And so he decided that it wasn't rheumatoid arthritis and he was going to treat me for my feet. But he did suggest that I still see a rheumatologist. He just didn't diagnose it. But it took me three months to get in to see the rheumatologist. So now it's, I've had symptoms for a year by the time I finally saw the rheumatologist. And by that time, it had really settled into my shoulders. And I would wake up at night, I mean, literally in tears. I would get up and go sleep in the living room so my husband wouldn't hear me crying. It was pretty pathetic. (laughs) Kind of chokes me up to remember because it was, it was so painful. And every morning when I would get up, or I could walk around the house and I could feel the, the pain going down to some extent, or the course of the day, it would practically disappear. I'd be fine in the evening and I, I wouldn't want to go to bed because I would know that I was going to wake up in the night. I didn't know why. I just knew that I would. And the pain was so bad. And so finally, you know, I would, I would wake up. And instead of getting up, I I was so tired. I would just wiggle my shoulders to try to wiggle the pain down, sleep for 20 more minutes, wake up, wiggle my shoulders. And and I was exhausted. So by the time I saw the rheumatologist in in June of 2014, I was a basket case. Um, And he diagnosed me on the spot. He didn't even, I mean, he's not big on drug tests or a blood test. I love this rheumatologist, but he's so old school that he can tell by looking at my face, my levels of pain. I mean, he he did a joint test, you know, a visual test out of the 56 joints. You know, if more than two come back with inflammation, you're considered to have, you know, arthritis. And I think I was at 19 joints that day. It, It was really bad. Now, he did do a blood test. I mean, he, he diagnosed me right there, but he did do a blood test. The Rh factor still came back negative, and I can't remember the other test, but it's the one where they test the amount of inflammation in your body. C-reactive protein is is that where it's supposed to be under twenty? That's the said right. Okay, well, whatever it is, it's supposed to be under twenty. Was two hundred and twenty-six. Yeah, that's your said right. Wow, that's extraordinary. That'd be the highest I've ever heard of. Yeah, it it was off the charts. Yeah. And um and he couldn't really say why. I don't have a history of rheumatoid arthritis. My family has no history of it. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. RH factor didn't indicate it, but the levels of inflammation were so high that um he's he started me on multiple drugs that day before I left his office. So I started out right away on Plaquenil, which, you know, also known as hydroxychloroquine, 
Anyway, that had its 15 minutes of fame last year during the pandemic. Uh, but my, my rheumatologist considered it the least toxic of the disease-modifying drugs. And so he said, let's, let's start there. And then he gave me a prescription for naproxen, which is an anti-inflammatory, which I never actually took. But And then he started me on prednisone that day. I think we started at 20 milligrams. Oh, okay. And um, I have a real love-hate relationship. I mean, who doesn't with prednisone? I had never been on it before. I didn't know what to expect. But I will tell you, I considered it a miracle drug that day. I, I slept that night. I mean, the, I did not have shoulder pain that night. And I would have traded my soul to be in that position at that time. So what I didn't know was that it was I was going to be on that drug for over two years. So about two and a half years. And I came to not love it so much. <laughs> Bob, when you were given it, did the rheumatologist tell you that it was just going to be used as a bridge until the Plaquenil worked? Um, probably because that is his approach. But we didn't know how long it was going to take for the Plaquenil to work. So we didn't really talk about how long it might be. Mm, and the problem is. is the Plaquenil didn't work. Yeah. I was on it for a few months. The prednisone was suffocating the inflammation, so I, was, I wasn't having the joint pain, but I still had all kinds of um, morning stiffness. It would last until dinner time. I had the fog and the fatigue and, frankly, the flat-out depression. Mentally and emotionally, I was still a basket case. I just didn't have inflammation keeping me awake at night. So... I'd stayed on the Plaquenil a couple of months. I'm still on the prednisone. We added methotrexate. And I think I started at 20 milligrams yep. at, at that time. So I'm taking both of those and the prednisone. A couple more months, I'm in the same position. Inflammation's under control. That's why I stayed on the prednisone so long. But the methotrexate wasn't really changing anything. So we added Humira. And, that, and my doctor asked me, are, are you ready to do this? Do you, do you want to go on a biologic? And I just didn't see where I had any choice. Um, much like the prednisone, it seemed to be the answer at the time. And because we had already tried what he considered the, two, the lesser of the evils, I, I went on the Humira. So I started with an injection in March of 2015. So let me just now summarize real quick so I understand. So at this point, you're still on the prednisone. You're still taking the Plaquenil. You're still take no, you're, you are, yep. You're still taking the methotrexate and you've added Humira without yes. dropping anything. Well, and, although I asked if yeah. I could drop the Plaquenil mm-hmm. at that time. And he, and he said, yeah, it's clearly that's not doing anything for you. So I did drop the Plaquenil when I started the Humira. Okay. Okay, good. And then let me also just clarify as well that his personal position with regards to the Humira was that it was a significant sort of uh, risk-benefit balance compared to the other drugs. Yes. Yeah. And we didn't, I mean, he talked about the standard risks 
you know, possible lymphoma, the long-term risks. But I, I should say that during all this time, I never really had side effects from any of those drugs. Mm-hmm. None of them. The, the Plaquenil and Methotrexate didn't really work for me, but I, I wasn't suffering side effects as a result of them. And, I, and I've never had side effects from the Humira. I've, I've not had issues with that. But yes, in March of 2015, I dropped the Plaquenil. I'm on methotrexate, 20 milligrams, and taking Humira, um, self-injections every two weeks, 40 milliliters. I'm not good with the measurements, but mm-hmm. a syringe every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And still on prednisone. Okay, okay. And then the methotrexate, well, I'll let you continue from there and, and okay. take us through. Now, how did it make you feel? How long did you feel, sorry, how long until you felt anything from the Humira? The Humira, um, I was told to expect about that it could take up to a month, but I started feeling generally better after a couple of weeks. And again, my, I, I wasn't having inflammation, that, that wasn't a factor, but in terms of my mood, my energy, my outlook on life, not crying all day, I got better from that within a couple of weeks. And so we knew relatively quickly that the Humira was was working. But then we kind of went into a holding pattern. I'm still on the methotrexate. I'm still on the Humira. And I'm still taking the prednisone. And I can't remember really why. I think my doctor, because I'd had so much trouble getting stable, it had taken me a year on drugs almost to get to what we considered you know a stable place that he just didn't want to change anything right off the bat and then you know months go by and a few more months go by and then it's been a year and you know we're into 2016 I'm still on all these drugs and in the summer of 16 one of us decided we needed to start weaning the prednisone I don't remember who he was always very good about making sure that we were having a conversation, that it was a joint commitment to whatever we were doing. But I was able to wean off the prednisone by September of 16. Because so I remember being on vacation and thinking, I don't have to take this while I'm on vacation, and this is a great thing. But then we went the other direction. <laughs> In the spring of 17, I was in a very small, the most minor car accident you could imagine. I was back in my car out of the garage at zero miles an hour. (laughs) Didn't know my daughter's car was behind me and I backed into it. And my body reacted as if I had hit a brick wall going 45 miles an hour. I had whiplash, my neck and shoulders just inflamed, you know. I couldn't move. I couldn't turn my head. I way overreacted to the conditions of the accident itself. And I had trouble recovering from it. So a couple months went by. It's, you know, early summer. So my doctor, my rheumatologist said, yeah, I know you're not going to like this bar, but bear with me. He recommended another short course of prednisone just to deal with that inflammation. And he just felt we had to use a, a sledgehammer because it had reacted so badly. So we did. So now it's the summer of 17 and I'm back on prednisone, but just a short course, we're going to do 20 milligrams and then wean down. So here's the good part. 
on August 1st, this is where I am at this point. I'm on Humira, have been for a couple of years. I'm on prednisone for a short course. I'm still on methotrexate. And I'm on Facebook. And I have done enough Google searches over those last few years that Facebook knows I'm into rheumatoid arthritis. And it feeds me one of your ads. And I had not been looking for any kind of natural health remedy. I didn't know it existed. I didn't even know to ask the question. It was not part of my conscious thinking. But Facebook knew, the universe knew that you and I needed to know each other. And when I saw that ad, I don't know, it was, it was just, I just knew that this was something that I needed, I needed to know more about. You don't learn much from an ad, but I could, I just knew that that was the direction I needed to go next. And the reason that it, I was so motivated was because I was afraid of my future. I was okay at the time. You know, the Humira and the prednisone, I was using big drugs to take care of these problems. They were under control. I mean, I knew the neck thing wouldn't last forever. But I was worried that I that I wouldn't be able, that Humira would stop working for me, that um, my body would develop an immunity to it. I was worried that I would have to go on a different biologic at some point. And the women in my family live a really long time. They live to be 100. And I figure I've even now got another 40 years. And how many times was an, uh, a biologic drug going to stop working? And at what point would I run out of them? And I just, I was very worried that I, I shouldn't consider that a panacea for my future. Um, and I needed to think about that now while, while it was still working. And while I did still have this safety net that, that was keeping the inflammation under control. So I followed the ad, I bought your book. I, um, I started the program on August 1st of 2017. So almost four years ago. And I skipped a couple, well, I skipped the first part. I didn't own a juicer. I didn't wanna go buy a juicer for two days worth of juicing. And I wanted, a, I wanted to start eating in a way that I could eat forever. I, I didn't want to do this for a minute and that for a minute. I, I wanted to just get into um, a consistent process. So I started right into the two-week process. And I had some ups and downs. I don't know if you remember, but I emailed you because I developed proctitis right off the bat. The first week, I was no. bleeding in places you should not be bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? But through your, you coached me through it and, and it, it didn't last. I healed. Everything was fine. I just kept going. And within a month, I was off the prednisone. I mean, I had been planning to wean it anyway, but I didn't have any trouble weaning it. I went, I went right off the prednisone and I thought, okay, if, if this natural eating, healthy eating program doesn't work, it does, it doesn't do anything more for me than what it's already done. I'm good. But then I was, I was like, I wonder what else I can do. <laughs> so I kept, I just kept doing the program and I was able to get off the methotrexate within three or four months. And that's the first time I've been off of that for a couple of years. So now I'm down to just Humira. 
It sounds like what you got most of all is a sense of confidence and a sense of uh, control. Control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Confidence and control. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can beat this thing, mm. you know? Mm. And, and I started to think of my body differently. Up until then, I'd been mad at it. I'd been. I didn't, you know, I had anger at my body for failing me. And I started to realize that that wasn't true, that the enemy is the RA, you know, that's the bad guy. My body and I need to work together to defeat this beast. And, you know, my body is a good thing. And, and it, I've completely, this sounds so corny, but I've changed my relationship with my body in these last four years. I honor it. I am grateful for it. I'm I'm thankful for a lot of things, but I see myself in this struggle, me and my body together. And and it's, you know, we got each other. We're, we're making this work. So we're off the methotrexate. It's probably January, February of 18. And I'd been in your forum for a couple of months at that point. And I can't remember the exact sequence of events here, but I decided to go for the Humira. I got a little cocky. <laughs> it's like, you know, I can do this. I talked to my doctor about it. He explained how we would eventually someday wean the Humira. Well, I kind of started without him and decided that I would I would do this, see how it went. Well, it didn't go very well. <laughs> I um I had been on two shots or a shot every two weeks. And I, I stretched that out to three weeks and I immediately had inflammation in my feet. It wasn't much, but having not felt that for a few years, I knew exactly what it was when I did. And it, it scared me. It, it really, it was a reality check. I had, like I said, I'd been a little bit hacky that I'd been able to get off the first two so quickly. And it scared me because I was really worried that if I stopped taking the Humira too soon and needed to go back on it, that it wouldn't work for me. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard these stories and I thought, you know, I'm not going there. Everything's pretty good. I'm just, I'm just going to eat the way I'm eating. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing forever if I have to because this is good and I'm not going to mess it up. And I think that's when I decided to kind of go at my own. I thought this is going to be a long-term project. If it ever happens, I'm just going to back off, slow down. I didn't back off the plan, but I, I stopped having this sense of urgency that, you know, I, I need to be off this by next month or three months. Yeah. I didn't set a goal. I thought it'll take as long as it takes. Mm, yeah, goals are only as good as what God intends for us, aren't they? Um, because when it comes to all things related to what we're talking about, things always take longer than we expect. Always. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't think there's any, nothing happens quickly. And so we also don't need the pressure of trying to get a result within a certain amount of time because that adds an element of stress. Yes. And we really don't need any further stress in our lives, especially ones that we self-inflict. So, you know, this often comes up with what we're doing right now. People say, you know, I, I talk about doing a podcast and uh, 
and and they they start the program sometimes saying I've listened to your to your podcast I want to be a guest one day I'm starting and I w- I want to I'm aiming to be on your show at the end of the year and I say hey just relax uh-huh. uh, just just take the time it takes and if we ever speak to each other one time in the future that will be amazing but don't you know just chill and um and give yourself love and time and space and set gentler goals that you can think that you can achieve. And if you do them much quicker, brilliant, but don't, at least don't sort of put deadlines that are going to stress you out. And I had done that when I first started the program, you know, I'm pretty type A personality and now I have goals and and I had one, you know, I wanted to be off all of it within a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, God had a different plan. (laughs) So yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was early in 2018, and I also was going through. I, I had left Macy's a couple of years before that. Right. They tried to turn me into a salesperson, and that didn't yeah. work. And I didn't want to be there. Um, and I felt so crummy at one point. I just I quit work altogether. But then I felt better, and I started a different job. And I'm an accounting manager with a nonprofit agency at this point. Have been for five years, but at the time that I wanted to go off Humera back in early 2018, there was a lot of job stress. And I thought, this is not the right time to be trying to do what I'm trying to do. It just, it's counteractive to what, to the lifestyle that I need to make this work. So I just went back on my every two week Humera shots and I was, I was taking vitamin D supplements, vitamin B supplements, but, but just that's all. I've never taken any of the anti-inflammatories, the non-steroidal, yeah. and I, yep. I've just never, I've never needed to because I was on prednisone for two and a half years. But so, so 2018, I decided to just relax and go for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And that's how, how it went through 18 and 19. There were two or three times during that time when with my doctor, I did try to stretch those Humera shots out. And I would get a sore finger or my wrist would be sore. And I would think, yeah. nope, it's not time yet. I'd immediately go back to the two-week injections and forget about it for six months. Yep. So then the pandemic hit in uh, last March of 2020. I got sent home to work remotely like everybody else. I've been working in this room for a year. Today, I went back to my office for the first time in. 14 months. But in March of 2020, the world was coming to an end. You know, in my opinion, I was stressed as everybody else was. The the political landscape in the U.S. was (laughs) (laughs) stressful. Let's just put it at that. Anyway, it was a stressful time. And I started snacking in a way that I never had in the first three years I was on your program. I mean, I we can talk food if you like, but I eat a, a very clean breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, I got stressed to the point of eating potato chips all the time. Ooh. And I and I thought, you know, I'm taking Humera. It's my safety net. If I'm going to be on it the rest of my life anyway, I might as well enjoy potato chips because it covers up the inflammation. <laughs> and uh but the problem was I started gaining weight and that was unacceptable. So in the, the summer of, of 2020, I thought, 
okay, just stop, Barb. You're, you know, you're, you're not doing yourself any favors here. And I, um, I had a little bit of an epiphany. I thought, you know, instead of using this time to stress and ruin my health in every possible way, you could use this time to live the lifestyle you always think you're going to live when you're retired. You know, when I'm retired, I'll do yoga every morning and I'll walk an hour every evening and I will plan my meals and I will cook my meals and I will be perfect when I'm retired and I have time. Well, I've been working from home and I had the opportunity to live my day in a different way. And so I started doing yoga every morning. I had been doing it two or three times a week. I I probably have some residual damage from the prednisone. My um my soft tissue is so brittle and so um rigid that instead of my muscle fibers doing this, they're like this. And my um Physical therapist has described my connective tissue like piano wire. It's really, really tight. And I think it's damaged from the prednisone. It could be the RA. Who knows? Who cares? It is what it is. And so I do yoga so that I can move. And But I decided last summer that I would do it every day. Not a couple times a week, but every morning. I have to wait for my body to wake up and relax enough that I can do the yoga because I can't even do it first thing in the morning. But if I warm up a little bit, I can do it. So, and then I decided that I would walk an hour after dinner. Well, in the summer when it gets dark at five o'clock, I would do it um, at the end of the afternoon. And then as soon as the light got longer, I go after dinner and I would do my hour and I would, I would commit to the eating the way I was supposed to have been eating the whole time. And I, you know, I lost the weight that I needed to lose. And in the fall, my doctor kind of surprised me and said, my rheumatologist, he said, well, you, you seem to be doing really well, Barb. Why don't we start stretching the Humira again? So we went to three weeks and I got to three weeks. And then I got to another three weeks and then I got to another three weeks. And he said in January, why don't we do four weeks? I said, okay, let's do that. And and so now I'm really motivated to be doing my yoga every morning and my walk every afternoon and my food and no potato chips. I went four weeks and I went another four weeks. And when I went to see him in March, He said, so how often are you taking it now? And I said, well, every four weeks. He said, well, do you want to stop? (laughs) And I said, yeah. Um, And I surprised myself because up until then, I'd been almost afraid of getting off of the Humira. I wanted to, but I was still really worried that if it didn't work, I would have to go back on it and it wouldn't work and I'd be stuck. But I just felt so much healthier than I had felt at any point in those previous few years that I and I just thought, you know, he's given me an opening. He's given me the chance. I've got to take it. I've got to know if this will work. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. But I did question him first. I said, are you sure? Four weeks. um, You know, should we maybe go to five? And he said, no, he didn't even think about it. He said, Humira is not going to hold you for four weeks. If if you've 
been going every four weeks for three months. It's not doing anything for you. You don't need it. So we'd gotten there and I didn't even know it. I, you know, I, it's funny after all that time that I had thought I wanted to be off that drug. And then one morning I got up not knowing that it was the last time I would ever take it. The last shot I ever had was February 28th. So it's been a full three months now. And I have no inflammation. If I overdo the walking, my back will hurt or my neck might hurt. But I do not have soreness in my feet. I do not have that rock feeling in my feet. My wrists are not hurting. My shoulders, of all things. And if now my doctor said, he said, now, I want to make sure that you've still got a dose in your refrigerator in case you need it. Make Check the expiration date. Make sure it's good. So I went home and checked and I still had one and it's good through the end of the year, 2021. He said, if you feel anything, you take that shot and you call me. But I have not had to do that. And I don't have to see him again until October. So another, I think, four months. And I, I, at that point, I suspect he may release me completely. I don't know. Mm, mm, okay. Well, wow. We'll cross that bridge when you get there. The, the thing to do to, at the moment is just to uh, uh, keep everything the way that you are. Don't go rocking the boat. Don't go changing anything. You know, you're, ex, you're more exposed, I guess, with no safety net. So you're walking now the tightrope with great confidence because of, uh, you know, the years and years that you've been doing the lifestyle changes and the habits you've established. But uh, yeah, without that safety net, you have to be one track mind, which is very, very cautious living. Yeah. But that's fantastic. Well, incredible. Um, How does it feel to say that? It feels amazing. I feel like a rock star. I I mean that. This This is the biggest accomplishment I've ever had in my life. You know, and I've been in business, I I won't bore you with, none of it compares to the the thrill of of getting off that drug. And my husband recognizes it. I mean, when I came home that day and said, my doctor said, I don't have to take it anymore. He he said, I wish we could go out to dinner. He knows I don't do that anymore. (laughs) I said, that's all right. You know, we'll. I drink cranberry juice over ice and call it, uh, you know, a cocktail. But we celebrated because that, it was just a huge day in our family, just huge. Yeah. And he has been supportive of me from the beginning, even in the early dark days. You know, emotional support. I know we talk about it a lot, but I remember the first month that I was on the Patterson program, and I was. You know, everybody thinks it's, you know, a vegan lifestyle, which, you know, it is, but there's so much more to it than that. But I was watching the Netflix show. um, The movie was on What the Health, and I'd never seen it. And my husband walked in about 20 minutes in. He sat and watched it with me. And at the end of that show, he said, all right, I'll do what you're doing. I'll, I'll because until then, I'd been cooking two dinners which I didn't mind doing. I didn't expect him to change anything. This this was my journey and I was okay with that. But he said, no, he said, you don't, you don't need to do that. I'll eat what you're eating. Just make two of them and I'll, and he does that. He eats lentil and potato soup for lunch. I send it in his lunch box. Yum. And, you know, we split pea and potato is our other big one. Uh, he eats all of that. He eats oatmeal. He eats, now, 
I will say that he eats a lot of processed vegan food that I don't. I don't eat anything processed, really, at all. Uh, he will eat frozen vegan burgers or frozen or, or uh, vegan sausages, or he likes the tofurkey, and he really likes the vegan butter, the earth balanced butter, and the vegan mayo, and all. That that's fine. I I don't care. Mm. But yeah, he. You can't be touching that earth balance because it's all, it's all oils. Oils. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My sister-in-law said at Easter, they were, they wanted to have us over for the first time in a year. And she said, and I know you're eating vegan. And so I, um, instead of cooking all the vegetables with butter, I cooked them all with olive oil. And I said, oh, Talia, that's so sweet. <laughs> It may not be very hungry, so please understand. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Let me just go to my backpack where I have an entire backup of food to eat like I have to take with me everywhere. Yes. I, my <laughs> plan these days is, you know, because of the pandemic, I haven't had to do it very often, which that's my point. This last year has been a great opportunity to clean mm. up a lot of things, but I I always eat before I go someplace, whether it's going out to dinner or going to somebody's house. I, I don't expect them to understand. I don't want them to try to understand. I just eat before I go. Or a lot of times if if we're out and we're at a restaurant where I just can't, I really just can't make it work the way I want, want it to, you know, I'll order a plain baked potato and a dry salad. And my favorite saying is, I am not going to starve from one meal. You know, who cares about one meal? Mm. If I don't mm. get enough protein this meal, who cares? It mm. just doesn't matter. It, mm. the, the downside is, I'll never forget what that shoulder pain feels like. I mean, mm. I can picture it. I'll never forget that. And so there's not much there's nothing really that's going to tempt me to eat in a way that could bring that back. And since I don't have the safety net of the drugs, I am just not going to risk it. I just mm. won't do it. I'm about to share a podcast of my story update. Uh, and I, uh, the title of the podcast is probably going to be never, ever, ever get complacent because I made a mistake that you were just talking about sitting at a restaurant and uh, it, it led to a knee replacement last year, and it was oh. a disaster. Okay, so I've got to share all that information in detail and all the lessons that I learned. It came from one meal that I ate a couple of years ago when we were in Florida at a uh, restaurant that Melissa used to work at that was an extremely oily, deep-fried meal, which I never, ever, ever eat. And uh, it just seemed so absurd that I would do that. But um, I'm going to share all the details. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mm, mm, <laughs> I would love to lesson. hear your story. Yes. So all I can say is you could not be more on the money. Do not take any risks at all, especially at restaurants. The way that they deep fry their food is repetitively reheat, reheat the oils right. over and over again. That creates an enormous amount of free radical potential in the yeah. body. So you're dealing with really, really high inflammatory omega-6s, and then they get heated, 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 and it really, it's like an atomic bomb of damage. So 
for everyone, if they, in case they don't listen to my upcoming podcast on this topic, never, ever take the risk at a restaurant. Restaurants are the most dangerous. It's like the war zone. So at home, a little bit of olive oil, probably not going to do anything. And at an Indian restaurant, places we go, Mexican, sometimes a little bit of oil in the rice and stuff, a little bit of oil in the dal, probably not going to do anything. That didn't affect me for years. But a deep fried meal, that's putting a gun to your head. So, yeah. Yeah. Not so, doing it. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. now I would be afraid that would you marry work for me again? Maybe it would. But I, you know, once you get off that hamster wheel, you just do not want to get back on. Well, um, let's close, let's close that portion of our discussion out on Humira. And then I want to get a couple more uh, tips from you. One thing you mentioned about your husband's support, that's a common theme we see throughout everyone who comes and tells their story on this show. It's the partner. Well, they've got, they're part of our support group, which you were for a while as well. Um, they, they have support. Support is, if we look at a pie chart of the things that matter, one of the pieces of the pie chart is you need the support there to keep you encouraged, to enable you to do this as easy as possible, to reduce friction in the whole process. And having the emotional friction of a loved one who doesn't agree, gee, that eventually wears you down. Just like a rheumatologist who doesn't agree, that eventually wears you down too. So you had the support from your husband. And the rheumatologist, gosh, I, everything you've said about that gentleman uh, has, has made me really develop a fondness towards him without knowing him. And then you talked about a tip of eating before going out. Uh, again, that's a, a really good one. So we'll get to some more tips in just a moment, but let's just close out the discussion on the Humira for people who might be thinking about having a, a, a journey down the path that you have with spacing them and talking about that with their rheumatologist. The concern that comes up from the rheumatologist is that you can develop antibodies to the actual drug itself. And once you develop antibodies, then you can no longer take it because the body's basically in fighting the drug then. And so it, there is a, and I'm speaking now uh, outside of you know, my education and not as a doctor, but just what I hear is that the risk of developing antibodies may increase as we space the treatments out further. And also the use of methotrexate alongside the Humira is also a strategy to try and reduce the risk of antibodies towards the Humira. And that is just my layman's understanding from hearing anecdotal stories. So we had a guest on, and um, forgive me if she's listening to this, her name, I won't take the time to, to look it up, but she spaced her Humira out months and months and months and eventually got to like six months and the last time she took it was six months ago but just like yourself has a, a a syringe in the fridge ready to use if need be same strategy as you but her doctor allowed her to keep going further and further and further and just didn't cease it after a month so just it's interesting to observe two different approaches from the rheumatology viewpoint i think her name was cara but sorry i have to you can go and search for that on our on our website if you want to listen to that episode you'll find just type in humira on rheumatoid solutions forward slash blog humira and you will find uh, all the podcasts where we talked about that and so you know yes look at you you were able to spread it to them three weeks then a month 
and did that for several months and then not on it. And it, and we're only talking opinions here, but in your opinion, uh, it would seem that if you needed it again, there seems to be no reason why it wouldn't have effectiveness for you. I feel like it, you know, at some point over those couple of years while I was, you know, eating the program and I probably did heal enough to, um, I may have been able to get off it sooner. I don't know at what point I crossed that that line, but I guess it doesn't matter. At this point, I'm just glad that we finally got there. Yeah, I hear. It's like when I stopped methotrexate, which was c- completely by accident by leaving the drug uh, at my mother-in-law's place in America when we flew back to Australia. And then sort of rolling the dice after I finally received it three or four weeks later that whether or not I should take it any further, I felt no difference whatsoever. And I thought, how long have I been taking this without it doing anything at all? Yeah. And that's a, that's a strange concept. And it's not one that I want everyone to explore and say, wow, no. you know, I'm going to stop my drug. No, 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 no. But, the, but it, there's a seed of thought that's worthy of planting to think, hmm, okay. Now we get into these routines. Some people, like my dad, he's been taking a zinc tup, a zinc supplement for forty years, and I wonder, like, <laughs> what does he need to be doing that for forty years? <laughs> but but he but you know he's in the habit of doing it, and we develop these habits of popping stuff into our mouth or injection or whatever, right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. But at the scale of the intervention that we're talking about, it's harder to test it, isn't it? Not like a zinc zinc tablet. It's harder to say. You don't want to go on and off. You don't want to up and down. So you kind of just and if you're stable, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You need to be Mm. stable before you can start testing it. Yeah. But when you're stable, you don't necessarily want to test it and lose that progress. So that's where I'm glad that in my case, the rheumatologist kind of made the first move and said. Are you ready? Um, and I, I don't know that I would have said that for a while. So I was glad that he, you know, was was willing to do that. And this man is seventy five years old. He is old school. And at the beginning of our relationship eight years ago, I thought, well, he's he's going to have me on every drug on the planet because that's what he knows, you know. But I think. I think over that eight years or seven years, I think he and I kind of educated each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he learned that I wasn't foolhardy. I wasn't going to take unnecessary risks. Um, I was going to listen to what he said, but I always had my own input too. I always had the opportunity to tell him what I was thinking or feeling or, you know, when I was ready to stop Plaquenil or, or methotrexate. You know, he was willing to, to go along with that. So mm, he worked mm. with me for sure. I, and if it wasn't, you know, without that relationship, it would go one of two ways. I would either have been foolish and stopped way too soon, gotten myself into trouble, or like you said, it would become a habit and I'd still be on it now. So, yep. Again, just a lot of, a uh, lot of uh, positive feelings around the rheumatologist. Um, so we've, um, we've, covered some great lessons throughout this and, and um, in no particular order, and I probably won't do this full justice, but what we've learned is that not every medication is going to work. 
we saw the Plaquenil not working for you. Methotrexate, there's a question mark over that because you were taking prednisone the whole time. We've been reminded how effective prednisone can be. However, there's no secret as to its risks if it's used long-term. And we've covered so much of that in other episodes and the science is so clear on that. Um, we've also established that it was when you changed your, your diet that you got the most impact on being able to reduce medications. Now, to continue our train of thought with regards to other things that I've certainly picked up from our chat is that, you know, I love this saying, what's great about this? I just love that saying, what's great about this? Because we constantly having challenges in life. And what you did is when COVID came along, you said, what's great about this? Which is, well, I can start living a retired lifestyle here at home. Mm-hmm. And you started implementing that. And that was a massive shift for you as well. Those evening one hour walks mm-hmm. and the yoga in the morning, the studies on yoga that I've been looking at as I'm writing my book is just incredible in terms of glutathione production in particular, which reduces oxidative stress. It's just amazing. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me just from yoga. And so no wonder it's so effective. And then the lessons around having, you know, the right rheumatologist, we talked about the support and just the, the, the original goals that you set for yourself of, you know, you originally said you wanted to get off medications within 12 months. Well, I've always found uh, uh, when we set a goal as well, we spoke about things taking longer with our health. Always my goals when I set them always take longer too. But you put that out there. You said, look, I want to be the sort of person that strives to be as healthy as possible so that I don't have a need for dependency on other interventions. Yes. And so you just put that out there. So it's no accident, you know, that you have been able to make progress, tremendous progress in that area that you set the goal for. So there's a lot of things there. And, um, and then your tip about eating before going out is great. And I want to just wrap up with just some bullet, bullet fire tips like um, do this, do that, and so on, so that we can finish on some real actionable items. If you've got any in your mind, otherwise I'll throw you some ideas. Yeah. Well, one thing I was thinking about um, that has been important to me is you got to find a way to put some fun into this because there's so much that's not fun. And when you're, when you're starting a new eating program and you feel like you're giving up and you just do, you feel like you're giving up a lot of things. You haven't made that transition yet. I found Well, one thing I really like about our food, the way we eat, is it's beautiful. It's I'm a very visual person, and I just really appreciate a plate once I've put it together. And just, you know, the vegetables and the colors and the textures, and it's just beautiful food. So I decided to um, indulge myself in some really nice dishes that would set off this food. And so instead of just putting it on my plain old Corel Ware plastic, dishes. I went out and bought at Macy's really nice um, white bowls that you would find in a farm to table restaurant. You know, if if that meal came to you in that dish at a restaurant, you'd pay $20 for that meal. (laughs) So this is a special meal. And to me, the dishes make a, a big difference. I did kind of the same thing with my oatmeal in the morning instead of my ugly little Corelware bowls. I have, um, I bought some really pretty 
stoneware pottery bowls for my oatmeal because they're very natural looking and, and it seems very healthy in the morning. And I also bought some nice barware because I always enjoy sipping something while I'm cooking and I don't sip wine anymore. Um, so I bought these really nice highball glasses and I fill them with ice and cranberry juice or orange juice. In the beginning, it was just orange juice. I've branched out a little bit now that I'm feeling better. And I sip my juice in my really nice cocktail glasses and it feels special. You know, it, it doesn't feel like I've given anything up. I don't feel deprived. So I don't, I guess everybody responds to things differently, but if you can find a way to take your food and your new lifestyle and, and put some of yourself into it mm. so that it doesn't feel like it's all been stripped away. <laughs> I love that. That's really, really nice. Yeah. When Melissa takes photographs of our food, she really wants to show the colors and the vibrancy and the, um, the life in the food, yeah. you know, because that should be celebrated. That is one of the positives and the most amazing aspect of it is that we're eating closer to earth and closer to nature. And so why not make that like a bowl of flowers and why not make it look good? And so, yeah, if that means some colorful bowls, some, some really nice ways of presenting the food in the plates and the glasses and everything, then that's a great tip. I love it. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I think this one is pretty much a no brainer, but you just have to commit to planning your food. And that means from, you know, starting on the weekend, you've, you've got to know what you're going to eat that week. You've got to shop for it. When you get it home, you've got to prep it. You've got to freeze it. You know, vegetables don't last very long in the refrigerator. They don't stay nice very long. And so as soon as I get home from the grocery I uh, or farm market or wherever I'm buying vegetables, I will clean them and chop them and and freeze them in individual. And so I, I will freeze them in those quantities. So I don't have this mass of vegetables wilting in the refrigerator that I don't know what I'm going to do with. And I also bought a lot of glass bowls, two cup glass bowls with plastic lids on them so that I can do a lot of batch cooking and freeze those um, meals in individual servings. So I'll cook soup every Sunday, whether it's the lentil and potato or if it's the sweet pea and potato, or I do one with 10 vegetables and kidney beans. I, I will freeze those all in individual containers. And my husband and I take those for lunch and we can reheat them at work really easily. And you just, you don't even think about preparing a lunch for the entire week. Once you get into those uh, routines, then it all becomes pretty easy. Uh, I cook less now than I did when I was making this, you know, this big meal every night with, you know, meat and vegetables and potatoes and all that. That this is a lot simpler. It, mm. It's actually easier. You just have to plan it. Okay, great. So and, there's uh, that. And uh, in terms of its, uh, can you give this a, a scoring out of 10, just to go through a few things quick, scoring out of 10 of level of importance, 10 out of 10 is must, must be done, zero out of 10, no. Exercise. 10. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking to the diet. 10. Okay. Um, your vitamin D supplements. Um, 
I live in Michigan. In the winter, that's a 10. In the summer, it's a five. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about, uh, let's see, your quality of sleep? For me, that, it's, that doesn't seem to be a big factor. Yeah, um, right. So you can have a rough night and still feel just the same. The yes. I mean, in terms of inflammation. Yes. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, good, good, good. Okay, what about water intake? I'm not great at water intake. I try. So I'm going to say that it must be a three or a four because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be impacting. Mm-hmm. Have you ever noticed a relationship between bowel movements, frequency, clearing your bowels before bed at night, any relationship between the bowels and inflammation? No, but I can tell by the quality of my bowel movements, the quality of my diet. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to the relationship there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So have I. We've got a lot to talk about there, but I want to, yeah. uh, well, that's for another time. What about stress and its direct impact? Um, that's that's high on the scale. Um, and I know from the, the amount of stress I've gone through when I've tried to wean off Humira versus when it's worked. I've, I've added meditation to my morning yoga. So I don't know if that's on your list, but yeah. it's it's on mine now. Mm-hmm. And I'm I only am able to do about 10 minutes. Um, but that's but I do 10 minutes at the end of every yoga session. And it really has helped set a tone for my day and reduce the stress of my work day. Mm, I think it's way more powerful than you know we give it acknowledgement for. And I think it's because it's just so hard to quantify. Yeah. You know, it's just such a such a well qualitative approach to healing that we all kind of just shrug and also because the mind as type a personalities most of us are who develop this condition it's a strange phenomenon but as type a personalities that is a conscious mind presence and so it takes a lot of great discerning wisdom to say hey the part of my brain that decides if I'm going to meditate is the part that's overactive. It does not want to be shut down to allow deeper powers to sort of come forth and and yeah. wisdom. So you kind of have to be really wise to say, I'm going to overpower the main operating system, which is my conscious brain, to shut it down. And it doesn't like it. It'll give you every excuse possible why you shouldn't try to quieten it for a little while like a little puppy that just wants endless attention. And so I think that it's really effective. And I've been doing it now most nights for the past few weeks, and I feel so much better for it. I just feel like every problem I'll handle it, I'll just handle it, whatever it comes along. No worries. It's just like I got this because it's not just my scatter monkey brain with a machine gun running around like a loose cannon. It's actually like, no, it's like, Clint handling things, not the crazy mind. And, um, and, and that's so powerful. It gives you a sense of confidence and a sense of calm. And uh, I think that I'll be looking way more into that in the future in terms of uh, its impact on health and what I have done in the past. Mm-hmm. So wonderful. I thank you for bringing that up. And then within the diet side of things, just to finally wrap this up, do you notice a, a, a benefit for days where you increase leafy greens or have you noticed that there's a particular favorite reset meal for you that you like and what's your safety net in the food area? I haven't had quite the same experience 
because I was on the Humira so long and I didn't reintroduce, I reintroduced food slowly, but I never really knew what impact they mm. were having because I was in remission because of the Humira. But what I do notice, and I won't go into detail here, but again, I judged the quality of my eating by the quality of the output. Yeah. And leafy greens are the key to everything. Yeah. So I would put that way high on the scale. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> they do tend to be the ultimate uh, balkanator, if you want a, yes. uh, a different yeah. word. Wonderful. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you. This has been tremendously insightful and I can just see how happy you are with how far you've come. And it, it's just, it's so uh, contagious, the, the, the good feelings that are coming through from you. And uh, thank you for letting me spend an hour or so with you and hearing all this information. It's so inspiring. Well done and thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.